so I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat men. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Things in the air, Kristen. Yeah. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 73 of Citizen Dame. We are all back. Woohoo! I am your very tired host, Kristen Lopez. I'm tired. Because we spent, I think, nearly an hour and 40 minutes doing our Patreon Merch Madness draft. It was a lot of fun. It was also exhausting. So so great. <laughs> we uh, learned a lot. We did learn a lot. We learned. It was about the friends we made along the way. Um, we learned a lot. Kristen, Kristen almost like died on, 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 on microphone. I did. I did almost die on microphone. Um, we we talked a lot about Die Hard. Secrets were revealed. Lessons were learned. Tears were shed. So stay tuned for that. Um, Join course, us on Patreon if you're interested. <laughs> I'm joined by Karen Peterson. Hello. Kimberly Pierce. Hello. So I'm going to call her after last night, Kim Burley Pierce. That is her new middle name. <laughs> <laughs> and a woman who has two last names, Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. Uh, okay, so where are we starting on this? This was a really weird week. Not a lot happened. But yet so much happened. Yet so much happened? I feel like I'm, I'm looking at this agenda... And not a whole lot happened. Um, so why don't we start with Jesse Smollett? Because that still feels very weird. Um, but Karen, what's going on there? Oh, man. So this Jesse Smollett thing really is a saga. Because um, in January 29th, it was actually, I remember I was at Sundance when I found out about this. Uh the news broke that he had been attacked by two people. Um, they were apparently talking about making America great again. They were uh, yelling out a bunch of racial and homophobic slurs against him. Um, and it was really bad. He got beat up and was in the hospital for a few days. And then he did this interview with Robin Roberts from Good Morning America where people started saying, like, something about this doesn't sound right. And the police were investigating and uh, then all these things started to emerge about the people who had supposedly been the ones that attacked him. And, oh, whoops, they had a check written by him and he had maybe staged the attack. And so then eventually he was arrested. There were 16 uh, indictments against him for falsifying police reports and things of that nature. And so everyone's like, so a bunch of people were like, oh, good, he's going to go to jail. And a bunch of other people were like, but we don't trust the Chicago Police Department and we don't know what to believe right now. And then le this last week, the attorney, um, uh, what's the word? 
not attorney general, the DA's office announced that they were dropping all the charges. So he's not going to go to court. He's not going to go on trial. He's definitely not going to go to jail. But of course, this doesn't mean that he didn't do what he was accused of because there are some other things in play as well, like some work that he had been doing for the DA's office and volunteer work and stuff like that. So nobody's entirely sure exactly the real reason why the DA dropped the charges, but that's where we're at. Yeah, it's really weird because as soon as I heard this was like breaking news that they had been dropping all the charges, and it's unclear what this means. So he hasn't admitted to a crime. Oh, he's forever said that he didn't do it. He's still saying he did not right. do it. So, yeah. Right. But And they're not saying that we're dropping the charges because we have proof he didn't do it. We're just dropping the charges because. Like, they're saying that it had to do with community service and, and how he's proven something he's proven his character but they're not saying specifically that they have not proven their case so i'm not a cop i'm just using my law and order knowledge um which is not always 100 percent accurate but the way this is sounding to me is that not necessarily that there's some big conspiracy theory which would certainly prove that conspiracy theory that the chicago police had no proof and that they just went with this series of events, but it certainly does sound like they could not prove their case. I mean, if they had what people assume they had, which was checks that were proving that, that he had staged this attack, then go to trial, prove that, especially with him maintaining his innocence and this being a big public relations snafu, but they aren't. So it's very weird. And at the same time, I have not heard anything, at least not as far as on his end, about some sort of lawsuit. Because I would also assume that if this was, again, his he, him being innocent, him being charged unjustly, he would certainly have grounds for some sort of lawsuit for that. So it's a very bizarre series of events that I honestly don't think we will ever truly know the truth behind. Yeah, the whole, you, sorry, go on, Kim. Oh, I was just going to say, you don't drop, what, 16 charges just because... There's Six, 16 felony charges. There's there's more there. Somebody somebody made a mistake. Some something was dropped somewhere. Something else happened. There's so much more to this story that is not being reported. I mean, this is I mean, and honestly, parts of this from every angle reeks of Chicago politics. Well, yeah, I mean, it's Chicago. This is this. Yeah. Is <laughs> I mean, there's so much that's being unsaid, and there's pro- there's so much that we won't know and will never probably know. Yeah, the, the whole thing is just so very strange. I mean, when this was coming out over the course of this week, it was like, I, all, all of the social media reactions were like, wait a minute, what? What's happening? Like, it, it's very weird for them to go into this, because they when they went into this, they were just like, no, he lied, and we're going to prosecute him. And then suddenly just dropping all of the charges, you know, like he was called in for an emergency. It was like an emergency um, court date or something like that. So th- it's happened very suddenly. And then, and, and then all of these other things are coming out and like um, with the Chicago mayor, Rahm Emanuel, like was talking about how this is a perversion of justice uh, to drop the charges against him. So there are huge question marks around all of this. And meanwhile, you, as numerous people have pointed out, you've got, 
Chicago and the the Chicago police's history of corruption and history of racial bias all mixing into this. So what actually happened and what any of this actually means, and even some of the articles um, that I was looking at were, were saying that there were even court reporters and lawyers who didn't know what, what part of the court case was going to be accessible and what wasn't and what was going to be sealed and what wasn't. So everyone seemed to be very confused about what was actually happening, including the people that it was happening to. So I, I don't even, I mean, it's hard to interpret this and it's hard to understand it, but it's difficult not to say that there is some kind of um, chicanery going on among the Chicago police. Yeah, my my whole thing with this too, no, we'll never know the exact truth on either side. I just, this has been pointed out by a few people and I've been thinking about it a lot too. It reminds me so much of the Ryan Lochte case when he accused, when he claimed when he was at the Olympics in Brazil and he claimed that he got mugged and eventually the uh, Rio de Janeiro police department uh, filed charges against him for filing a false police report. But by that point, I think he'd already left the country. And so yeah. all got dropped at some point. But the thing is like, whatever happened to Ryan Lochte after that, you know, I mean, nobody really talks about him anymore except for like when this case came up and I mean, hopefully that is the last of him. And I mean, what he did was terrible and, and he needs to go away. And with Jesse Smollett, if it's true that he did these, if he did make this all up and did stage all this, then, you know, I think that the court of public opinion kind of deals with that. Unfortunately, if it's, if his story is true and he didn't do those things, then he kind of is also screwed that way too. But, but I'm glad I personally am glad because of the fact that so many white people don't get punished for these types of things that, you know, like there needs to be fairness across the board. You can't just like go after a black guy when you wouldn't go after a white guy the same way. Well, I will, I will, Oh, go on, Lauren. <laughs> I was just gonna say with the Ryan with the Ryan Loctakis wasn't there. There is actual footage of him like oh, ripping yeah. the door off of a like a public restroom or something like that in oh, an yeah. attempt to show that that oh I was mugged. It was just like no, you definitely weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that issue was also about him having left the country already, yeah. and and the Rio de Janeiro police not being able to get him back. So he definitely did it. Oh right? yeah, and he no definitely lied. That. Whereas with this, it's like the the Chicago prosecutors are legitimately dropping charges against him. Matt, like n- a number of charges. I think there were like sixteen counts or something like that, and they just dropped it. And that's that's very odd. Whereas they could prosecute him if they had the evidence or if they had the wherewithal or whatever. It's it's very strange. Yeah. Well, and I will say, somebody who is enmeshed in the blind item community, take it for what it is, um, there are definitely theories about what happened here um, from sources that I trust. I don't feel comfortable saying what they are, but if you do read the blind item community, um, you are welcome to research it. There is a lot of discussion, and if it's true what they claim, then we won't ever figure out what really happened here because it does, it's more personal embarrassment than anything else. Um, But in the end, I think that this unfortunately is going to ruin his career, even if 
Rahm Emanuel's stupid asinine law that he wants to pass um, doesn't doesn't go through, which it probably won't. Um, I do think his career is is kind of stopped in its tracks for a while, and it's sad. We talk about on this show a lot who deserves a second chance, who where the line stops with your career when you're accused of something horrible, and I think that's a valid question here. Like Jesse Smollett did not hurt anybody. He wasted man hours and and de- definitely broke the public's trust in him. Um, if this is true, if he did not do what he claimed, you know, if he did not, uh, if, if what happened didn't happen. Um, but at the same time, is that enough to, to prevent him from ever working again? It's a really weird question um, because, because as Karen's saying, legally, yes, like white guys get away with stuff all the time. But in this case, I feel like he's going to be held to a higher standard by Hollywood than other white guys would. Um, so well, just, we, well, I yeah. think part of the reason for we, that is because of all the people that came out en masse to support him. And I think a lot of them, when it, when other news start to break that, oh, wait, his story wasn't true. I think a lot of those people felt really betrayed and really dumb for supporting and believing him and so I think that that's where he runs into issues of being welcomed back or not is not because of of the actual thing that he did but because of the the support that he inspired when we just talked about it with the the college cheating scandal too I mean something similar you know Lori Laughlin and everything happened you know everything that she lost so quick with this but yet I was just watching AMC a few nights ago and saw multiple promos with Talking Dead Chris Hardwick staring right back at me so what you know where's the scale what these these careers are ending but ultimately plenty of times it doesn't you know what it's part of the problem with Hollywood. Well, and yeah, and and the Smollett stuff comes also in a, in a culture of there are actual attacks on on gay men, on black men, on black yeah. women, oh, etc. And this may have been one of those. And that that was, I think, the, that was part of the outpouring of public support, um, particularly from Hollywood, but, but really it's so from believable. everywhere. Yeah, it's yeah, so you're just like, yeah, this this makes sense. And, and for it to happen on the streets of Chicago, yeah, this this is actually not something that is questionable right particularly in our in our current culture um you know a prominent gay black man getting attacked that you know that it's horrible but yeah we we believe that and we're we it's not that we want to believe it but we give credence to the the um the victim's story which is what we should do and what we absolutely should always do regardless of the few times that it might be a lie or that it might be a, a twisting of the truth and so for this to then turn around and be like well he lied about it um does feel like a betrayal and it does feel like using the public's sympathy for victims um against them and for his own financial gain. yeah exactly for his own gain or for his own protection or whatever else is happening so the fact that we're that we're probably never going to know what actually happened that it's never going to become total public knowledge is very disturbing because it does create this whole culture of like well that guy lied 
Uh, so, so obviously everybody who claims that they were attacked, everybody who claims that they were, you know, raped or harassed or assaulted or anything is also lying. It, it contributes to that co- continuous culture of, um, victim blaming and of not believing the victim. Exactly. It, it leads to even that sprinkle of a doubt that, that, oh, the, the woman is just saying this for financial gain. Oh, you know, even if people aren't necessarily questioning it, it's the fact that these stories exist that fuel this culture. And that is, I, I know for me, what com- it's troubling, devastating, you know, pick your word, but it's, this is what continues to fuel these change, and this is what needs to change in our culture is this victim blaming and things like this make it very hard. Well, moving on to other things, hopefully this this is the end of it and Jesse Smollett can figure things out. Um, but I, I feel like there might be some more twists and turns. I don't know, just when you think this case is done, something else happens. I don't know. It's I think it's done down. now. I think I think a year or so from now he'll be welcomed back and he'll start to he'll start to come back into things and people will just move on. That's what I think will happen. Exactly. Um so moving on to Zack Snyder. Seems like a nice transition. Um there is <laughs> must we? Um so apparently this is still a problem for people. I don't I didn't know it was a problem. Um, people are still really upset that Batman and Superman are murderers, at least in the new movies. Um, yeah. So Zack Snyder was doing a Q&A um, during a screening. Oh, that's right. They are doing Watchmen this year. I know that because Jeremy Irons is in it. Um, that means I'm going to have to watch it. Shit. Um, so he was there. Uh, Zack Snyder was talking about um, supposedly somebody was upset that Batman killed people and he said in uh in a video you know that people needed to get over it and that i guess it's a problem now i don't know he was talking about yeah it is a problem it is a huge problem batman's been around for 80 years and the whole thing about him is he does not kill people it's been a big part of his personality and who he is he does not kill people and for Zack Snyder to come in and be like, ah, eh, fuck that. I'm going to do what I want. Dark, we're going to have a super dark Batman that kills people now. Yeah, that's completely messing with the like, fundamentals of who he is. I got that I'm with pissed. Superman. I got that with Superman. Like, when, when, when the whole Man of Steel neck snappy thing happened, I was like, what the hell? Like, because Superman, I figured, had that moral code where, like, he didn't murder people because he was just a Boy Scout. The Batman thing is what's really throwing me because I was just like, dude, it's Batman. Batman's I always thought parents Batman was were a murdered. Yeah. Batman's parents yes. were murdered in front of him. He did not kill people. Yeah, that's that's the whole kind of ethos of Batman is, uh, and the the struggle that he goes through is that he's this violent vigilante, but he he will only use force to a certain point, and part of that is because of his experience with his parents. Like that's the whole basis of his character. I did not. I completely missed that in all the movies. 
I, I mean, it's just I'm, he was more violent than he showed up. Like, I don't know. Maybe I, I misread. I mean, that. that's why uh, he always like will leave people dangling from the side of a building or whatever, so the police right. can come back and get them. And all of his villains ended up in Arkham Asylum or in prison. They he yeah. didn't kill anybody. He he doesn't yeah, deliberately. It's weird. I have like some Mandela effect where I just figured like Batman was like murdering way more people. Uh, <laughs> no, no. But either way, I mean Zack Snyder. Yeah, his his whole concept was essentially like we live in a world now where people have to be murdery, and you can't have that in movies anymore. Um, I mean, I'm all for authenticity in film, but. I, see, I don't know. I'm a bad person to talk to about this, as as Karen and everybody will tell you, because I'm terrible with comic book movies and I don't like Marvel stuff. Um, so I don't, I don't really have an opinion on this. What do, well, what do you guys think? All, it's, I'm terrible. First of all, it's DC, not Marvel. Uh, Thank you for right, saying that. Right, no, no, I know, I know they're different. I know they're different. This is the same thing. Same thing. Same thing. <laughs> I know they're different. I just know that in my grand background, like I don't like Marvel movies. DC movies are okay, depending on what they are. Um, so yeah. <laughs> drop a I'm sitting over here cracking up because I, I consider myself one of the nerdier ones. And I had completely forgotten everything, you, Karen and Lauren, you guys were saying. I was looking over this article going, Jesus Christ, we're really going over this. So, good God, it's exactly. not a big deal. And I, I'm, but then, no, you guys are completely right. I have heard all, I completely agree with everything you're saying. I just, I had completely completely forgotten about it i mean to me in my head D dc is so those movies have been so dark so gloomy so gritty in my mind i can see ben affleck's batman killing people and to hear schneider saying that doesn't surprise me at all and i could honestly believe it but no i mean coming from the comic book lore yes you guys are completely right and it throws Batman's lengthy history, you know, it really spits on Batman's history. But I can also see from Kristen's perspective, it makes a hell of a lot more sense with Superman in general than it does with Batman. So that's continues my and insert snide comment about DC fanboys in here. But it's I it's an interesting discussion. But that's the whole thing that makes Batman so interesting is that he is violent. He is dark. He's a very brooding person. And yet he has this capacity within himself to hold back and not to go too far, not to cross that line. And it makes him a very interesting person. It makes him a very well-rounded person that thinks about what he's doing and before he does it. And I love that. And the thing about what Zack Snyder did with both Man of Steel and BVS, it really bothered me because I felt like, and maybe I would understand him better and his perspective better and it wouldn't be this way if I sat down and talked with him, but I don't really necessarily want to. But the thing is that when I was watching those films, I felt like he does not understand these characters enough and that he doesn't care about who they really are. He's just inspired by kind of the general mythos of them and just decided to tell whatever story he felt like telling. It felt like completely ignoring the true intent of those characters. And that's why it, it always bothered me. And that's one of the big reasons I don't like either of those movies. Yeah, that's yeah. incredibly well stated. 
I, I yeah, obviously, I, I agree with Karen. Um, and one of the things that Snyder was talking about and that the Vox article kind of highlights and, and says that basically says that he's wrong is, you know, he's talking about, oh, you know, you can believe that your heroes are innocent or whatever, but you're living in a dream world. It's just like, yeah, these are literal superheroes. They are like Superman comes from another planet. You know, these he fights he fights aliens from, you know, other galaxies. Batman is fighting, you know, mad, insane people coming out of the same asylum. You know, all of that shit. This is a fantasy world. Like, this is not reality at any level. And it kind of reminds me of some of the arguments that have been made about, like, Game of Thrones being like, well, women get raped, so that's why we show tons of rape. And it's like, yeah, but you also are creating ice zombies and dragons, which are not (laughs) real right so it's interesting where we demand reality versus where we're we're demanding you know not reality and so so for snyder to defend his perspective by saying well this is just the way that it is it's like no it's the way that you've created it to be and we can create it and i agree with karen it's way more interesting for batman to be this complex character who has who does indulge in a great deal of violence but draws the line somewhere and says that i cannot be like the people that i fight and that's part of his conflict um because he he almost wants to be he wants to push it that far he wants you know the world would probably be a better place in some ways if he was able to to kill someone but it would also be a worse place because he would stop being the hero that the hero that Gotham needs, you know. Um, and for Snyder to to just basically ignore that and to refuse to to refuse to even countenance it to be to be like, oh, you're being childish if you expect for a hero, you're being childish if you expect for a heroic character not to murder, and that's right. really disturbing. That's a very disturbing perspective to take, particularly in our current world. I mean, part of what is happening in these films is that, you know, we are looking both at what these films are reflecting what we want to be and they are reflecting what we are. And if the only thing that we're seeing is that heroes have to kill, the heroes have to murder, then there's a serious problem. Uh, and, and I think that it's indicative that some of the most popular DC films, publicly popular DC films, have been films where those heroes actually do struggle with that. Films like Wonder Woman, where the whole solution is love. Um, films like the, the way that they're talking about Shazam, um, where it isn't this darkness that we're just plunging into all of the pain and suffering, but we're actually seeing something that is positive and a way to move forward. And that's way more important than you know whatever Zack Snyder imagines reality to be. Yeah, I think about um, I think about the Dark Knight, and spoilers for Dark Knight. But you know, the Joker is responsible for the death of the woman that Batman loves, and directly responsible. And in the end, when they're having their showdown, he doesn't kill him, and the amount of restraint it would take for that makes Batman the strong person, the strong hero that he is. I like that. That's beautifully stated, Karen. Um, I have no opinion on this, so I'm... Yeah, I just figured. Comic book characters. Um, But it does transition us to other things that critics and fanboys and all of them do um so we had something about us 
and hyperbolized or hyperbolizing films. Lauren, I'm assuming you put that down there. It's like- <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Was it the hyperbolizing? Hyperbolizing. That's a very hard word to say at 8:30. It is. It is. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't know what other. I didn't know what other word to use for it. Okay. Yeah. I, I will. I will talk about this. So one of the things. So I went to see us uh, last weekend and or not actually this past week and i i loved it i loved a lot of things about it i also had some problems with it and i think i'm going to talk about this a little bit later but even before i went to see it one of the things that was getting to me was when the film initially premiered at south by southwest there was this outpouring of critics on on twitter and then also eventually in their reviews talking about how us was basically the savior of the horror genre that it had like completely reinvented horror that it was a masterpiece that it was proof that uh, uh jordan peele was the next hitchcock you know all of this stuff it, it was there was a lot of talk about how this is like the almost the greatest horror film ever made and even at that point i was like i really doubt that it is not because it's not a great film or not because it's it's not a well-made film but because, first of all, there are no, there are very few films, and I would probably say there are no films that don't have flaws. Even some of my favorite films, including my favorite film by Hitchcock, has flaws. And to to kind of express this hyperbole about a, a film that only a handful of people have seen is very suspect to me. And it does feel like critics were trying to get poll quotes or um, were just trying to get attention or something like that. But there's also this tendency to treat particularly with horror films every new movie that comes out is the greatest one ever made so they that that was the way that hereditary was approached last year um i you know if you remember the release of the witch and the way that people were talking about it it was like this was the a total reinvention of the horror genre and i think that this actually does a great disservice to these films for for a number of reasons one because it's never going to be as good as that hyperbole. So people, when people eventually get to see it and when it gets a wide release, you're going to go in and you're going to be scared, but you know, you might actually be like, well, actually it didn't scare me as much as it scared that guy. Like, and so that there's, there's a tendency to have a, a, an anti-reaction against that, a backlash to it. And being like, well, you told me it was the scariest movie ever made. You told me it was the greatest horror film ever made and it's not. So it's terrible. Um, which prevents us from taking these films based on their own merits and actually talking about them in a nuanced way. The other thing that bothers me even more is that when you're talking about a film that is made by a very prominent and very successful already black director and writer, it's as though we cannot allow Jordan Peele to to have flaws. It's as though we can't allow him to even fail. And one of the things that you will see with any great director, and you know, name one, Hitchcock, Scorsese, Coppola, uh, Spielberg, um, Varda, you know, any single one of them has made a bad movie. All of them have. Like, I've watched so many Hitchcock films. He's a fantastic director. He made some absolutely terrible fucking films. And that's okay. It's fine for a director to fail. It's fine for them to fuck up and for them to make a movie that just isn't that good. And we have to have space for that with someone like Jordan Peele because eventually, Us is a very good film. I don't think it's the greatest film ever made. Um, But eventually, he's going to make a bad movie. He's going to make a mediocre movie. 
And we have to allow him to be mediocre. We have to allow him to fail at some point and still be like, it's okay that he failed on this one thing because he's going to make something even better. Um, so yeah, the, the whole, the hyperbole surrounding this stuff bothers me and the, the tendency to treat particularly horror as like, it has to constantly be one upping itself is, is very troublesome because it's never going to be as good as you're claiming that it is. So that's, that's what I had to say about that. I don't know if anyone else has any opinions. Oh, I completely agree. I know I've been thinking about it's start us kind of re-drilled in that point for me because I know I was one of the ones after Hereditary came out you know I've been hearing since Sundance how amazing it is and you know how this is the second coming of the amazing horror film and then you know a critic who we don't talk about on this podcast going you don't get horror if you don't find this scary and then I went to see it and absolutely hated it that hype gets exhausting and seeing it with us and then for briefly it's finally died down now i was seeing people calling you know shazam the best superhero movie out of the dceu and it's like why are we continually doing this and part of me thinks is this freelancer online journalist culture we're so desperate for hits we're so desperate just to get noticed because it's a slog out there that people are just trying for those pull quotes. And I completely agree with you, Lauren. These directors have to be allowed. Everybody's going to make their stinkers. Everybody's going to have their 1941s. Everybody's going to have their ready player ones. Sorry to pick on Spielberg. But, and part of the problem is that, well, some directors are allowed to fail, but then what is the thing we continually say with female directors, with, you know, underrepresented directors, one failure and suddenly they're out of there. And this hyper this continual need to hyperbolize and to call things, you know, the greatest things since sliced bread, the breast entry in the genre, because I think we did it for a while with um, A Quiet Place too. This horror in particular is one of the most subjective genres out there. No, but it, something that I find horrifying is not going to be horrifying to somebody else. So that's automatically setting these movies up for failure and for backlash. And it's, I don't think it's good for the art by, by any stretch. Yeah. It's as somebody who has attended film festivals and, and I think Karen and I have been, at many an event and looked at each other afterwards and been like, what are we missing that other critics are supposedly seeing? And I do feel like we tend to fall into, it's not even a best and best thing ever and worst thing ever anymore. It's best thing ever. And then you're trying to figure out why you don't feel it's the best thing ever. Like great example for me recently was Captain Marvel. So many people were saying Captain Marvel was the greatest thing ever. And it's it's the movie that we've been waiting for. And I was just like, it's good, but I don't think it's the best thing ever. And then I felt really bad that I didn't think that. And I was weirded out that I thought that because I'm, I was like, I'm a film critic. My point is to have my own opinion. You're going, what don't I get? Exactly, what, what did I exactly. miss? Yeah. Why am I not towing the party line? Exactly. And that feels very weird to me at this point because that's not i i'm assuming why we all got in this game um to you know be the same 
Um, so yeah, feeling like everything has to be the greatest thing in the world, I feel, as Lauren was saying, is more about chasing the pull quote than anything else at this point. Well, and oh yeah, and it almost no. feels like that that other uh, the directors. I mean, you're talking about Captain Marvel, and you know, you also have the same thing with Wonder Woman, and also Jordan Peele. You know, what is the common denominator here? Women and people of color. And the problem, the problem is that like we almost we expect every single film that features a, a female lead or that features leads that are are black or non-white, you know, non-white leads, we suddenly just it, it has to be the best ever. We have to be absolutely perfect, absolutely stellar. Because if it's not, you know, does that mean that Jordan Peele is never going to work again? Does that mean that um, you know Patty Jenkins will never get another gig? And there's that terror of like, so we, we we put so much on the shoulders of these films that really shouldn't have that amount of pressure. Just in general, too, I, I completely agree with everything you guys have said. But in general, too, I think that, like, I get really reluctant. You know, one of the other podcasts I'm on, we do a weekly top five, and it's always tied into um, the film that we're reviewing. And it's fun because it leads to a lot of interesting discussions. But one thing is that we never include the film that we're reviewing in our top five. So, like, today we're talking about Dumbo. We're going to do top five Tim Burton films. Dumbo's not going to be on that list. Even if we love it, it's not going to be on that list. Because, first of all, it's way too soon. Like, I'm, I don't understand this tendency other than chasing quotes or trying to get attention. I don't understand this tendency to the first time you see something when you're still on a high from having just watched it and you're excited about it, proclaiming that to be better than everything you've ever seen that's like it that ever came before. That doesn't make sense. Like, for me, I need time to think about it, to ponder it, to really figure out where I would place it. And how I would compare it to other things. I probably want to see it another time or two and let the dust settle a little bit before I really decide how great or how terrible a film really is. I mean, sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes you get the beach bum and you instantly know that that's the disastrous movie, but <laughs> Thank you. Oh, the letters, but, uh... the letters we're going to get. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, but but by and large, you know, so yeah, you're so up on us and you love us and you start saying it's the best horror film of all time. But then, like, let's go back and look at some of the great horror films. And does us really deserve to be considered better than Rosemary's Baby and Psycho and even Get Out? Like, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But the second you walk out of the theater isn't the time to decide that. Well, and film is not a zero-sum game, either. It's not right. like, you know, oh, you have the best horror film ever made, and if this other one comes along, ah, it destroys that one. It's like, no, you, there's space for all of these. There's space for us, and there's space for Psycho, and there's space for Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist and all of those. They're not, you know, we don't have to eliminate one when a new one gets released. It's a very weird culture. Well, and it's all so subjective, too. That's the thing. Like, people are saying Us is the scariest movie ever made. And I'm like, I still think The Strangers is the scariest movie ever made. Also about a home invasion has a much different ending to it. And that's the kind of thing that scares me. So what scares us is totally individual, too. So, yeah. And that segues us to other critics doing dumb things. Uh, I know... I think we got I think we got some time to touch on this too, but um, Netflix social media team 
we love them we question them it's weird um but over the week um a troll had been i guess was he trolling netflix or was he trolling brie larson it was both but i don't remember who posted the initial tweet somebody was trolling brie larson netflix responded to that random person with stating brie larson's acting credits and and everything and how awesome she was and then brie larson had responded to netflix um with some positivity and then a film critic named scott tobias jumped in and said quote some random person with 300 followers is allowed to have an opinion without being dogpiled by a corporation and a celebrity for brand burnishing purposes this whole thing i feel is dumb starting going all the way back to netflix responding to a troll yes but i feel like we've just like gone so far off the mark uh with this well that's interesting because my thing on this was good for netflix for not putting up with a troll saying stupid crap about one of their new stars you know like I'm so tired of trolls just getting to say whatever they want, and when you respond, it's either you get met with, don't respond to them, or, oh, look, a corporation's bullying these people. That was my take on it. Because that initial tweet was to complain about Brie Larson and to claim that she shouldn't get to, she shouldn't get to direct a movie for them because what are her credits? Right, right. Okay. Yeah. I get that. But they're also being very specific about the randos that they're replying to. And I feel like Netflix is really interesting, their social media account, because I feel like they're trying to do what TCM does, only they're doing it badly. TCM is one of those where, full disclosure, I work with TCM, so so I do know these people as people. Um, but they are very specific in that you know who is behind the social media, because there's only two people. Um, Netflix posits themselves as having a person run their social media but you do not know who that person is so it feels sometimes like a robot trying to act like a human um and so i find it funny that they're they're really selective about the random people that they're choosing to respond to because it does benefit them to do it if that makes sense um so yes in certain instances i know what scott tobias is talking about i i had an article that went viral and it got picked up by a horrible far right organization. I got totally hit with just the most horrific comments. Yes, big Twitter brands will do that sometimes. Um, and it, it does it does suck. So the guess the moral of the story is all you know, don't be a troll. But Netflix is one of those where corporate I, I stand by the concept that corporations are not people. Um, and so it does feel a little weird to me that they are using their social media account to perpetuate themselves as woke in the same span of time that they canceled a Latinx show through a series of tweets saying that they didn't see any value in it. So it does feel a bit disingenuous, but I feel like Scott, again, that's where I say it's gone so far for Scott to jump in and be like, see, this is why we shouldn't have, yeah, there's a far more convoluted thread to Netflix doing what they're doing than just you feeling like you can't criticize somebody. Yes, there's a line between criticism and trolling. Um, so I feel there are many different parts to this. If That's what I'm kind of complaining about. Well, well I think you're complaining two completely separate issues. But anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I, might, I, I kind of, yeah, I, f- I feel like there, there are, I, I absolutely agree. There are a lot of different things that are intersecting at the same time. 
And one of the things is Netflix's corporate account is behaving just like most corporate accounts are. I mean, I follow the Moon Pie corporate account, for God's sake. And it's hilarious because it relates everything to Moon Pies and it's very weird and stuff. But it is it's a corporation trying to sell something. And that's what Netflix is doing. Also, the reason why Netflix responded with to with the Brie Larson stuff was because they are featuring um, what's called Rainbow something uh, on on their platform. So of course they're going to say something, you know, but I think we also need to look at the, what Netflix actually said, what they actually responded, which was they listed her credits uh, in response to, so they were actually giving a fairly factual response to this guy who was basically like, well, Jonah Hill didn't behave like this and he made this great film and all this shit. Um, So their response in many ways was very measured. Uh, it wasn't saying, like, you're a fucking idiot and we hate you. It was, you know, here are all of the credits that Brie Larson has, so I think that she can probably make a movie if she wants to. Um, and I think that that's fair. I do agree that, you know, corporations, and particularly filmmakers or actresses or, or people with a lot of followers on Twitter, responding to uh, people who say, like, I don't like your movie is a bit suspect. And I think we've all probably experience that at some level where a big account responds to us or retweets us and then suddenly you're getting all of these randos in your in your mentions calling you names and and saying stuff like that one of the things that bothered me about the the critical reaction to this um was was that this happens all the time to women and minorities where you say something like i don't like movies by denis Villeneuve." oh right? yeah and suddenly you get 50,000 Nazis descending on you, calling you names, saying that you hope that, that they hope you'll be raped and uh, saying all sorts of horribly nasty stuff. And what the general reaction is from other people is, well, you know, this is an open forum. You, you know, you, you said it and, and now they're responding to you. So, yeah, fair enough. But this guy is not getting harassed. This guy is not getting, you know, called names or being threatened with rape or anything like that. And so I, I struggle to be like, oh yeah, Brie Larson was mean to you because you said that she was a terrible director and she shouldn't be allowed to direct. Like I, I, I have a, I have a problem with being like, oh, we need to defend someone like that. And, and Kristen, in terms of what you're saying about TCM, I have no idea who runs the TCM accounts. Uh, and I don't know who runs the Netflix accounts. So whenever TCM pops up in my in my feed, I, I don't know that there's a person behind that. I assume that there's a person behind that, just as I assume that there's a person behind the Netflix social media. Um, but I, I have no connection to them except as corporate accounts. And they're promoting something. They're trying to sell something. They're trying to sell their network. They're trying to sell the movie that they're showing. They're trying to sell, you know, different personalities, etc. So all corporate accounts are behaving in pretty much the same way. Um, to say that, you know, Netflix is bad, but TCM is good, but Moon Pie is better. I, you know, I, I, everybody is, everybody is in the same game, basically. But Wendy's is the best. Can we all agree on that? <laughs> I really Wendy, want a Moon I, I do Pie like, now. I do like when Wendy's and like Pizza Hut gang up on, you know, Piers Morgan oh or whatever. Best. <laughs> I love it. This is where that comes from because it, the reaction, they're all, I think, getting into the same game because we all love it when they get into those, you know, 
when they pick on, I think I remember like Wendy's picking on Burger King or something, or I think back to, there was a Netflix tweet that everybody kind of cracked up on because it was about a lifetime. It was one of those like princess kiss or princess world or something. And I think Netflix tweeted to the 58 people who watched this, you know, who hurt you every single day or something. Yeah. And we, are so I think and we're coming out of this I think but we are so used to these corporations being these gigantic big nameless faceless organizations that it was almost refreshing there for a while to have them have these interesting and active social media presences but now they're all doing it (laughs) it's the you know the bloom is off the rose yeah I mean in terms of the troll thing I yeah I, I tend to I tend to I tend to block pretty liberally on social media and I tend to just not get involved. So I can't speak to that. But I'm right kind of with you there, Lauren. It happens a fair you know, it happens so much to women, people of color that I'm sorry, some fanboy building up, you know, mid 90s and, you know, I, you know, I. I don't care. You know, it, it happens, you know, it, I don't have a hell of a lot of sympathy there, but I caught, I have barely even seen, I think I just saw the original tweet as I was listening to this discussion because I was catching the backlash, the back end of it with the Tobias tweet more than anything else. And it just, it feels to me like, like Lauren just said, corporations selling things. And that's really the long and short of it. And I do want to say that the, the, um, the content of part of that Tobias tweet is true. I mean, anybody has the right to their opinion, even if they only have, you know, 50 followers or 300 followers, not a million, but that doesn't mean that you should just be an asshole to whoever you want to which is where the problem is. Well, yeah. And if you share that opinion on Twitter, you, you are going to get a response. Exactly. You might, you might get one response or, and, or you might get thousands. And, and that, that's something that we really should all be accepting uh, regardless. What we should not be getting, we should not be getting abuse. And as far as I can tell, that dude did not actually get any abuse, you know? And, and again, that's the difference between being, a man on Twitter versus being a woman on Twitter or being a woman on social media. When we get abused, we get threatened. Uh, We get called horrible names. We get people saying that they're going to come over to our house and rape us. When a man gets abused, it's just like, Oh, you're a fucking moron. And look at all the comments that were like, gosh, Netflix, I was really mean. Like, what the fuck? As a, that Netflix <laughs> was tweet so was not mean. The Brie Larson no. tweet was not mean. I mean, no. if, if people think this is mean, they need a thicker skin. To all the women mm-hmm. I have heard talk about death threats, you know, death, death threats and rape threats. If these people are upset by that, then they're living in a sheltered little world. Yeah, and, and we should not be countenancing abuse. If this guy is, is receiving harassment, is, is having people come come onto his feed or into his DMs saying, I want to kill you for what you said about Brie Larson, which that's a problem. Possible. Which it is, is possible. Because he did turn his, his account private, so who knows? Maybe he did get some of that stuff, or maybe he's just a very skin th- thin-skinned, whiny baby. Yeah, there... But, but, you know, Netflix saying, like, well, actually, she has tons of credits, and, and so you should maybe pay attention to that. that that's not harassment. Right. Well, moving on. Uh, 
So, we did have some breaking news on Ghostbusters 3, but I know that I have thoughts about it, and Lauren might have thoughts configured by on it by the time we get to it. We're going to hold that. <laughs> We're going to hold it for next week so that we can actually talk Karen about it. Karen definitely has thoughts. Yes, Karen definitely has thoughts. Um, so we're going to throw out some listener questions uh, real quick. We got two this week. One is from uh, Brendan Agnew at BLC Agnew. He asks, with us currently tearing it up in theaters, what's the most enjoyable experience you've ever had with a horror film on the big screen? Ooh, um, mm. I tend to have really bad, terrible experiences with horror because people are stupid. Um I will say one of the funnest experiences I had was hearing somebody scream at, you know, teenage girls when we were watching The Grudge because they screamed, literally, they were screaming every three minutes, did not matter what it was about. Um, and so all of a sudden at this like super quiet moment, you hear somebody scream, shut the fuck up. Um, that was funny. Uh, but probably the most enjoyable experience I've had was going with my little brother to see Paranormal Activity, the first one. Because, speaking of hype, we had been told by a bunch of people, like, like I think Paranormal Activity is the last movie that was, like, Blair Witch Project, in that you didn't really know a whole lot about it. And I had heard from friends who had seen sneak previews that they had questioned whether it was a real movie or not. Uh, and so my little brother and I were like, we gotta go see this movie. And we had such a blast um watching it on a big screen because you can see all the little things that are happening you know in the, the grainy corners and we had a lot of fun with that um so that was that was really fun um also the opening scene of 28 days later with killian murphy's junk that was a fun time went with all my parents and my grandmother to go see that did not expect that um so yeah those are those are some fun horror movie experiences that i've i've had uh opening it up for the group I know I talk about this one a lot, and maybe part of the reason it is one of my very favorite horror movies is because of how much fun I had the first time I saw it, and that's Scream. Because prior to that, horror movies really did scare the crap out of me. I didn't enjoy watching them. I I liked knowing what was going to happen, so I liked, I liked having seen them, but just not the actual process of watching them. It was torture, but Scream came along, and it was funny... And there was this hot guy, Billy Loomis, and I really liked Nev Campbell. She was awesome. And I just had so much fun with it. And when, you know, the opening scene is so intense and when, when Drew Barrymore is jettisoned, she's supposed to be the biggest star of the movie and all of a sudden she's dead in the first 10 minutes. It's like, wait, anything can happen with this. And so I just remember, I was in college at the time, and I just remember having so much fun with it and thinking like, okay. I could do scary movies now. This isn't so bad. And so, yeah, it kind of opened up a new door for me. I tend to have a fun time with horror movies in general. I can't think back to really one in particular. Ordinarily, unruly kind of audiences bug the hell out of me. I'm not one for talking, not one for much. But for some reason, with a horror movie, I just find it fun. I mean, I think back to the last year, had a blast at the A Quiet Place screening, had a blast. Hell, I, I enjoyed the Halloween screening. I had fun at the Us screening. I mean, it's 
there's something about horror that is just so fun to watch from a communal aspect. And it's that kind of that interplay between the audience and the building of the tension that I just really enjoy. And then I think too, I mean, just film, you know, or kind of film going experience, even something as simple as seeing the creature from the black lagoon on 3d last year at Turner classic film festival. I mean, it's, it's a very fun genre to watch live. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of with you there, Kim. I, I think that when you have an audience that's really engaged with a horror film, it's so much fun. And when you have an audience that's really disengaged with it, it's terrible. But, you know, there there are those moments where you're just like, yes, everybody is into this and it's loads of fun. And people are, you know, I like it when people scream and people like, you know, drop their popcorn and stuff like that. Because it says that everyone is having this real reaction to it. I've told this story before, and it's not technically a horror film, but it is a scary movie. Um, seeing Psycho with a bunch of students who had never seen it before and did not actually know the twist was really pleasurable, partially because when you actually got to the twist, there was a couple of girls who just screamed. Uh, and and one guy who was like, What? what that's not no like he was just yelling at the screen he was yelling at the screen and i'm sitting there going like this is this is wonderful this is like exactly the kind of reaction that i want people to have um to to this film so that that was just loads of fun and uh and i i really i want to see psycho again with like a bunch of people that i know have no idea about it that's amazing that people can still have that reaction to a film like that i I was shocked. I, I was honestly just so surprised that no one had any idea about the twist at the end of the movie and that they were so surprised. I was just like, you did your job, Hitchcock. Good job. <laughs> nice. Uh, so and our last question comes courtesy of Ryan McDermott at Ryan McDermott. He asked, what are your thoughts on Lupita's voice in Us and the concerns about it from people with uh, the disability that her performance was based on? So this is a conversation I did not know people were having. Um, I I had heard casually that Lupita Nyong'o had based her vocal performance in Us on a particular disability um, called dysphonia, I think is what it's called. Um, and... I have two minds on this. I do not have the disability, so I cannot speak from experience. I don't know much about it. But when you are basing something on a disability as part of a performance, you're always, and you admit it, you're always going to open yourself up to criticism. Had she just come up with something else to explain it a little bit better, I, I don't think we would be as fervent on it. But at the same time, if you know the the twist in us, honestly, I don't know why she would have said anything because it would make sense based on the twist. Um, and I don't want to re re reveal what that is, um, but there is a, a filmic reason for her to sound that way. Um, I don't, I understand what she was saying and that, oh, I, I heard this specific disability and I wanted to base it, but she should have also included the caveat that like, her how the movie plays out she is not disabled and i shouldn't have used it because it, i feel like there's a better reason she could have come up with than saying that it's based on a specific disability that i don't have 
Um, have you guys heard anything about this, or what? What are your thoughts? I didn't hear anything until I saw this question. Same. same. Yeah, same here. I, I hadn't read anything about this. Um, and I think that's really that's really interesting because I maybe because I'm keyed into the disabled community a bit more, and even then I don't I don't hear a lot about what's going on. But I had heard this, and it led to a really big discussion. That for some reason I got tagged in, um, even though I was like, I have no opinions on this because I don't have that experience. Um, but it is, I think, I think Lupita could have couched her answer a bit better. And that's, that's really the important thing at this point. Um, I, I, Karen will tell you, I talked to Kate Siegel about, about disabled representation. And I feel like we're at the point now where actors know they shouldn't take roles where they play a disabled person. But now they need to stop talking about their inspirational processes, about utilizing disability for some element of their performance, because it's just as bad. Well, in a very broad way, horror, horror has had a, a problem with using disability in general. Oh, as, yes. I mean, as, as you've talked about, Kristen, and I think that a lot of people have discussed very explicitly, um, and, and the, the major, one of the more major um, problems that I that I had with Hereditary is is the way that disability was used in that film. And so this is this is an issue that we're going to have to keep on coming back to because one of the things that so I, I had no idea about this, this disability, I didn't know that this was something that she had based her performance on. The voice to me was made made sense given um, given the backstory given everything that we learn eventually right. about the character. Uh, so if you hadn't just told me that, I would like have no idea that this was based on a disability or that she had based her performance on a disability. As soon as you begin using disability as a marker for horror as, and, and as a marker for evil, there's a problem. And it's a problem that horror is going to continue to have probably for a very long time because it's based so heavily in the history of horror. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that probably that she probably shouldn't have said anything and no one would have had no one would have had the conversation about it um but we do need to look at the way that disability continue to look at the way that disability is represented in horror and the way that we treat various you know changes of language or um behaviors etc that are associated with disability uh as somehow evil or horrific or terrifying exactly um well, Lauren, you just saw us. Um, we Most of us had talked about it last week. Um, I know Karen and I did a, a car critique on it. It's on Patreon if you want my thoughts. But you got to see it finally. Um, what did you think of it? You wanted to share share your thoughts. I'll just give a brief response. I really liked it. I think that Peel, I think that aesthetically it is a fantastic film. I loved the use of soundtrack. I, I loved the performances, like everyone from the, the small children up to Lupita Nyong'o um, were fantastic. Uh, and, and I think it worked on a lot of levels. It worked on a psychological level. It worked on a visual, like visually, it's just a, a gorgeous, gorgeously shot film um, and costumed. And the way that he kind of builds the tension over the course of the film um, until finally you get the revelation of, of some of the things that are going on. Uh, I think that plot-wise, it has issues. And narrative-wise, it has issues. And I, I think that some of the stuff that happens in the final act 
the rest of the film has not appropriately laid the groundwork for. Uh, and it's a, it's a failure of the film, um, which does not make the film itself a failure, but it, it complicates your response to it. And, and I think in some places, I think he was trying to be a little too clever almost that he was trying to find explanations for things that didn't necessarily need an explanation. And then he wasn't trusting his audience enough or trusting his, his film enough to convey the kind of horror and the kind of the, the, um, the issues that he was investigating without introducing some of these other elements that just didn't, to me, didn't make sense. Like it, it just raised more questions and not questions in the, hmm, isn't this interesting questions, but questions in like, this doesn't work kind of questions. This doesn't make sense. I am loath to use the phrase plot holes, but it's pretty close to that. Um, given some of the issues that he introduces very, very late in the film. And if they had maybe been introduced earlier or been hinted at earlier or given more of a development, it might have worked. But even even so, I think that he's he's trying to do too much in a limited space and it doesn't quite fit. So I liked it. I didn't love it. Uh, I think in many ways Get Out is a better horror film, although this film is more aesthetically mature. And... Um, and I, I wish that he hadn't made certain narrative choices that he did. And you still love Winston Duke, right? And Winston Duke, man. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. Wow. Like, I could have watched an entire film about that. Yep. <laughs> oh, I love him. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, so so, could... yeah, so, Lauren, you're pretty much in line with the rest of us. Yeah, pretty so much, yeah. Fun. Yeah, it sounds, sounds like it. Sounds like it. Well, I think that's going to close us out for this episode. Um, well, oh, hold on. I'm sorry. Can we just say something quickly about Agnes Varda? Yeah. Sure. I know you guys weren't like super, yeah. um, super knowledgeable. Like none of us are super knowledgeable about her filmography, but she passed away yesterday or maybe it was two, I don't know. Maybe it was two days ago. Um, but the thing yesterday. is that she's, okay. Yeah. Um, she was such a, a, important voice in not just in the world of filmmaking but in feminism too she's definitely always been a champion of women she started her career in the 50s when you know here in the United States women weren't allowed to make films <laughs> and a lot of times and even in France it was hard but she just she always you know marched to her own drumbeat and she's just this amazing person and if you haven't seen some of her films like Cleo from Fat from five to seven it's on canopy check it out do yourself that favor and and you know a lot of people last year when faces places was out and it was nominated for an oscar and they're seeing her all over the place on that campaign trail and they're referring to her as just this cute old lady and it's like okay you clearly haven't actually listened to a damn word she said because she is fiery and feisty and amazing and she's just she's such a She's such an amazing person and did so much for for cinema, for women, for just the whole industry. And she was 90. She had a good run. But, you know, she's going to be missed. Very much so. I don't think I could set, I could have said any, any of that better myself, Karen. Well stated. Well, that's going to close out this episode of Citizen Dame. Yeah, you can get in touch with us. Send us your questions, comments however you want a variety of different ways, either tweet them to us at Citizen Dame Pod. We have our Instagram, which is at Citizen Dame Pod. Kim posts a lot of fun 
pictures and content. Uh, we have Facebook, which is facebook.com slash citizendame. If you're old school and you want to email us a comment or a question, you can do that at citizendamepod.com. The podcast is available wherever you get podcasts, including Spotify. If you're on iTunes, consider helping us out and leave us a rating and a review. We have our website, citizendamepod.com, where we do our regular weekly top fives. Kim does her thirst traps and her uh, feminist Fridays. Lauren does Dame Struck on Wednesdays. I am posting a, a bunch of reviews and interviews that are up there, so definitely check that out. Karen is going to be posting her What I Did for Love piece, which the new poll is going to go out by the time this is recorded and uploaded. It should be up so you can vote on all the embarrassing movies that we have put forth for a new round of reviews. Uh, if you want to support us with your money, you can do that a variety of different ways as well. We have a Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizendame, where you can get anything you want slapped on a t-shirt or a mug or something. Um, if you have something you want us to put on a piece of merchandise, let us know and we will make it for you custom. Just so you can buy it, because we're like that. Um, if you want to just give us a one-time donation of a couple bucks, you can go to our Ko-Fi account. That's ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. There's a hyphen in there too, so remember that. Um, and then if you want to get a bunch of amazing perks, you can do that at Patreon, patreon.com slash citizen dame. We do the episodes a full 48 hours early if you get a Patreon subscription. We also have our upcoming villains draft that we did last night, an hour and 40 glorious minutes of us laughing and making inappropriate comments and objectifying men. And Lauren learned a lot of stuff about us as people that she was just knocked out with. Uh, I can never look at you guys the same way again. I can't. I can't. I'm so disturbed. That's at patreon.com slash citizen dame. What's that on tap for And there was only one... There was only one that's what she said joke. So. That's true. That's true. Um, and we also do our. But it was a big one. We also do our car critiques. We also it do really our car works. critiques on Patreon. Karen and I have taken to reviewing movies in the car. Uh, we didn't talk about Dumbo this week, but if you want to hear our thoughts about Dumbo, uh, we did a whole review right after we saw it with a special guest, which is available on Patreon. Um, and what's everybody got on tap for this week, movie wise? Shazam. I, yeah, I have Shazam and Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Yeah, and then I think possibly some other movie. Too. I know. I think Karen and I are doing something <laughs> Avengers related. Something. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it. Um, I think we're. I don't think we're allowed to give specifics, but I can say that there will be some. Something. Yeah, I would. I would doubt you can give any specifics right now. Yeah. Something yeah. is happening. Assuming. Maybe, maybe I'm not. going to try. I'm going to Tribeca pre-screenings. Yay! I get my it's that time of year. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that that should be awesome. We are going to be uh, taking a hiatus in two weeks. So next week we are recording, if memory serves, correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. So yeah, we'll we'll record an episode next week, and then we will be taking a week off. Because Kim and I will be at TCM. Um, so we will see you all next week. Bye. Now, I thought I already done told y'all to get off my property. Okay? So if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Now, the cops are already 
on their way. Hey, 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 hey! 